You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. hard. I'm talking spiritually, emotionally, and then also physically. And speaking of growing up physically, that is, uh, last weekend I had the privilege of taking our youngest son, Zano, on a little weekend trip, a journey that we have done with all of our kids as they have transitioned from being little children and into that wonderful strange spot of being adolescence. Uh, it was a special father and son time for us. Had a specific purpose. I did this with Caleb when he was about 10 years old. I did it with Josiah when he was uh, about 11. And now I'm doing it with Zano when he was 12. I guess if we kept having kids, it would just get older and older because it's like, oh, well, you'll figure it out. Um, no, it, you do this based on even the ability of your child because they're all different to be able to maybe handle the discussions and the conversations that you're going to have and each time Carla and I would prepare the necessary materials for the things we would be doing like object lessons uh, created the necessary space for myself and uh, my sons to go off and in her case it would be her with the daughters and we would go and take this uninterrupted time of about 36 hours over the weekend So what do you do with that time? Well, uh, a large majority of that time, we eat food. (laughs) So uh, that's just what we do. We're going to go breakfast, lunch, dinner, go try to the favorite spots that your uh, child, in this case Zano, goes or the places that I had gift cards. You know how that works. Like, well, let's go to your favorite spot. Well, I don't have a gift card for this. We're not going there. Uh, We're going to go where we ever have a gift card. So I'm the only one that goes where you have a gift card. Come on. Some of y'all never go anywhere unless you have a gift card. That's just how it works, right? So we go there, and then we also set aside some time. We need some time to do a special activity together where we're just going to do something fun, and then we hang out. And then there's also uh, the most important part where we need time to spend in honest conversation, in-depth, honest conversation about growing up. Specifically as it relates to, say, puberty and everything surrounding this tumultuous time of life and change like dating and marriage and sex and sexuality and how we can honor God in all of those areas of life. Woo, fun times. You're just using all the correct terminology for everything that you haven't actually said since you were probably that age and you thought it was funny. Speaking of fun times and awkward seasons of life, we're in week three of our At The Movie series, and today's movie is Disney Pixar's Turning Red. And it deals with some of these same themes, albeit with a different worldview than I will approach it today. But from a positive standpoint with this movie, if you've not seen it, again, we've been advertising this, and so it's like, well, I haven't seen it yet. A lot of people say, well, now I'm going to go watch this, and that's fine. You're going to have a different perspective. The animation is really good. Uh, The jokes in the movie, for the most part, are pretty funny. The soundtrack is also enjoyable. And then there's also this representation of underseen cultures and contexts that is super refreshing in a movie like this. From what I've read, for people who have the credibility to say so, the film also nails generational conflict in immigrant families. So the writer and director, 
Domi Shi is a Chinese-Canadian herself. She grew up in Toronto. She's the first woman to ever fully helm a full-length Pixar film. And she explicitly said that the red panda is a metaphor for magical puberty. Turning red captures the messy volatility of this stage of life and gives an honest, sympathetic approach to the experience of adolescence, particularly puberty. And from the perspective of the director, the panda transformation symbolizes a coming of age. We've all been there at some point in time where you wake up one morning and your, your legs have been hurting all night long, you've grown two feet, you have hair all over your body, and you can't stop eating food. It's just a, a season of life that we've all been through. So the story of this movie follows a 13-year-old girl, Maylin Lee, or as her mother calls her, May May, or her friends call her May, but it follows her adventures into self-discovery, tackles themes like adolescence, puberty, attraction, friendship, Canadian-Asian culture, and then even multi-generational relationships. Now, I've read all kinds of reviews about this movie, all kinds of sources, and ironically, I think the movie depicts one of the best ways to handle the themes that some Christians have had problems with with this movie as it relates to religion, identity, friendship, or parenting. This movie actually covers the way you handle these things the best way, and it's this, honestly communicate with one another. Honestly communicate with other people, specifically your family and your friends. It's pretty simple, straightforward in my opinion. Whether it's parents, family, friends, church, we need to honestly communicate about awkward, difficult, and even the detrimental realities of life. Let me tell you a non-helpful approach to the awkward, difficult, detrimental realities of life. Here's a non-helpful approach that we're tempted to use and it's ignoring or lying. We wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say that we're ignoring it. We would, certainly wouldn't say that we're lying about it, but we're lying to ourselves. We're lying to other people by not being honest. A lie isn't just what comes out of your mouth. A lie is also sometimes what doesn't come out of your mouth. What I mean by that is we're not being honest with one another, that we're not being authentic. And when it comes to growing up, going through adolescence, while navigating family and friendship relationships, it's complicated and it's compounding, isn't it? As a multi-generational church, I think it's important that we understand that, that as we get older, that we don't forget that, that we biblically understand how to have healthy cross-generational relationships. Again, something this movie tackles really well with three generations, with, with May and her mother and her grandmother. Without being too prescriptive, because I know saying just do this and it will be fine isn't really true. Oftentimes we can, as a church and a pastor, you can say, well, here, here's what the Bible says. Just do this and everything will be fine. And that's a little bit too prescriptive. It's true that we follow God's word, but we need to remember that it's going to happen in the context of a battle that we fight in this flesh. A simple worldview, however, I do want to give you as it relates to tackling multi-generational relationships is found in scriptures like 1 Timothy chapter 5, where it says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as sisters. I'm going to speak about getting older in a second because that just made me think of it when I dropped that. Speak to younger women as sisters with absolute purity. 
There's mutual respect where we exhort one another as family. Another passage is in Ephesians 6. We've probably all heard this one before. Whether you've been in church or grown up around church, you've heard this because people use this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For that is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And here's the other part that we often forget. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, this is not necessarily the worldview that this movie is taking, but it is a good reminder of a few scriptures that should shape our biblical worldview when it comes to relationships, particularly multi-generational relationships. So let's go a little bit deeper today and let's talk about growing up. And I'm not just talking about growing up and going through puberty and adolescence, although that's part of it, but I'm talking about growing up spiritually. When it comes to the wonder years of adolescence, there are many things in life, particularly as you get older, that you may look back on fondly and say, man, I wish I could go back in time and do that again. Man, I'd love to go back in time and do that again. I'd love to go back in time so when I dropped the top off of my bottle onto the floor that I didn't think, I don't really want to bend down. That's going to hurt too bad. I'd love to go back to those times. Have you ever thought about that? Like, I'd love to go back to when the, the, I tried to put weight on and no matter what I ate, it never would happen. I'd love to go back to that time. Wouldn't you? You could eat whatever you want and it just, just went away somewhere. I'd love to go back to that time where my biggest concern was whether I was going to be able to play a video game or forced to go outside and play basketball. I'd love to go back to when my muscles didn't hurt after minor movements or my back didn't get pulled by just rolling out of the bed. I would love to go back to when it was okay to jam out to boy bands. Was that ever okay? I don't know. I'd say I just want to, I think it is. I, listen, I'm going to go ahead and say this. That's all of our guilty pleasures. Man, woman, it doesn't matter. We all like boy bands. Our first scene is just a little nod to that era as well as a after credit scene that we've kind of stitched together of May May's dad, his name is Jen, and we stitch those together. And I, I want you to see if this brings back some memories for some of you, or maybe it describes your current reality right now. I don't know. Let's watch. Give me one, two, three, four. You know it's us, yeah. That was me right there. I mean, that still is me, let's just be honest. I'm downstairs with your daughter's stuff on, dancing to the boy band. Now, I was not in middle school at the height of the boy band era. I was actually in college. I could still remember some of the girls. I was about a junior and some of the freshman girls coming to college. And it was like I was hearing all kinds of like sync and back. I'm like, what is this ridiculous stuff? The music is catchy. That's why Jen, the dad, is down there dancing to it, and it makes you want to sing the song. I hope that you'll actually remember more than just uh, did it on my own on the way out of here, but whether you consider boy bands a positive or a negative over your early years, here's something I'm sure of. I don't know anybody who would say, I would love to go back in time and go through puberty again, and then give me a heavy dose of middle school. We have a lot of middle schoolers in this church, and I think in all seriousness, we should recognize how difficult of a time in their life that it is. 
And as a spiritual family, a multi-generational spiritual family, that the body of Christ would pray for them, encourage them, listen to them, speak to them as they navigate growing up and learning to become who God made them to be in the most difficult time of our formative years. I guess that's the greatest lesson to pull out and focus on today. It's not just for middle schoolers, by the way. While this movie is dealing with identity of a 13-year-old girl and her friends, it's telling you to become who you are. And I agree with that, but I want to add one major addition. Becoming who you are is becoming who God already says that you are. It's not just about becoming who I am. It's becoming who God already says that I am. Contrary to popular cultural opinion who says who we really are is whatever you want to be, who we really are is who Jesus has made us to be. That's the most real and authentic version of yourself that you will ever be. You will never have more clarity about who you are until you see who you really are in Christ, who God already says you are when he formed you and shaped you and knitted you in your mother's womb. There are all kinds of verses about this. I mean, we, you can go through the Bible and just see all kinds of verses about who God says that you are. But one very straightforward one is this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what are you now? You are a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Let's talk about our identity a little bit today. Because if we all have, as you're going to see in this movie, if you watch this and then some of the scenes, if you all have like this red panda that's fighting to come out of us, what do we do? Let's start with the antithesis of what we're going to be told to do because what you're going to be told to do is is look inside yourself here's what I want you to remember we can't find our identity inside of ourselves it's impossible look inside yourself man that is the worst advice it's not a good place to look to find your true self except for your true self apart from Christ that's what you'll find when looking inside we are created in the image of God And as the created, we cannot define what we are created for by looking at ourselves, but instead looking to the one who created us for his purpose. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful, some translations say marvelous light. God made us who we are so that we can make known who he is. Our identity is for the sake of making known his identity. When you know who you are, when you know whose you are, there is a confidence and a security about you. You're not insecure. Since we were created to worship and bring glory to God, remember this is from a previous week in this series, we were created to do what? To bring glory to God in whatever we do, no matter what we do. That's what we're created to do. And as we do that, as we worship God, as we look outside of ourselves and look to our creator, he begins to show us who he has already made us to be, who we really are. We see ourselves the right way when we worship God correctly. Here's the better way to put it. We become like what we behold. We become like what we behold. Are we beholding God or are we beholding ourselves? Looking inside ourselves to find out who we are is not only stupid, it's the idolatry of ourselves. This is why worship matters. 
We're, we're idolizing and worshiping ourselves. Self-worship is a useless object of worship because there's nothing transcendent about me and you. There's nothing that goes beyond myself. But God is transcendent. He's the creator. He's so much bigger than me and my plans and my ideas and what I think about myself. He's got something so much better. Looking, listen, looking inside myself to define myself is like looking inside my bank account to find money sometimes. You know, you do that, like you're looking on there just wondering if somebody else deposited money into your account. Come on. Let's just see. Maybe, maybe I'm going to look again. Maybe... I'm going to look inside my bank account to see if there's money for me. You're not going to find it unless you put it in there. And when it comes to finding out who we are, we're not going to find it by looking inside of ourselves, but by looking outside of ourselves to the one who lovingly made us. Man, God, make us more like you. Not by looking at ourselves, but by beholding and looking at you. You also might hear, well, just follow your heart. Again, the stupidest advice you could ever have. Don't follow your heart unless you've been given a new heart by Christ. The Bible says that your heart is deceitfully wicked. You don't want to follow that. No, what you should do is not follow your heart. You should worship God and ask him to change your heart to what glorifies him. That's what I want to follow. I want to follow your will for my life, God. So I'm going to worship you until you change me from the inside out. And when we worship God wholeheartedly, we begin to see ourselves as he sees us. We also begin to hear his voice more clearly. And his voice is the one that we need to hear as he defines us and refines us. This is important, too, because how we see ourselves comes down to what voices we are listening to the most. Are we listening to God's voice the most? Are we listening to the voice of his word the most? Are we listening to the Holy Spirit? Maybe our parents, our friends, culture, the enemy. What are we listening to? And then the inner voice, which I might add, sounds a lot like a lot of these other voices in your own head. How do you distinguish between your inner voice being the voice of God speaking to you or the voice of the enemy speaking to you? Knowing how to discern which voices are speaking into your heart and mind becomes one of the greatest abilities that we can cultivate, one of the greatest gifts of the Holy Spirit, the ability to discern the voice of the Lord that we need and should pray for regularly. See, whether you believe the truth or lies is determined by where you're fixing your eyes. Whether you believe truth or lies about yourself is determined by where you fix your eyes today. Am I looking at God or am I looking inside myself? So not only do we need the loving voice of God defining us to worship him and to stand inside even a moment like this in corporate worship where we're worshiping God and this is who you say that I am, God. Remind me the truth about who I am in Christ. Not only do we need him defining us and refining us, we also need the loving voices of godly friends that love Jesus and love us. In the body of Christ, we call this needing our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not only will we not find our identity in ourselves, but secondly, we won't find our identity by ourselves. Isn't that what culture tells you to do too, man? Just go off and figure it all out by yourself. Again, the worst advice ever. You're not gonna find your identity in yourself and you're not gonna find your identity by yourself. We need each other. We were created for a body. We were created for a family. We were created for one another. 
Let's watch this next clip that highlights May's friends being true friends in one of these crisis situations that sometimes you might find yourself in in adolescence as they help her navigate, in this case, turning into a big red, red panda. Let's watch. May 18th, they just announced it. The 18th? There's no way this will be gone by then. Just, just go, go become women without me. Do you have friends like that? In our context, I'm talking about friends that love you for you, but love you too much to leave you where you are if it's hurting you or unholy. Here's the type of friends that we need. Friends that help you see Jesus more clearly. Friends that help you see yourself more correctly. And friends that help you live a life more God-glorifyingly. That's the kind of relationships that you were created for and that we desperately need. If there's one major deficiency that I see many times in the conversations that I have with Christians and people in the body of Christ today, it's the absence of these types of relationships that are needed in order to live a God-glorifying life. We need each other to help us see the world around us more like God sees the world around us. Some Christians are more concerned about walking away from their old life instead of staying committed to walking within the new life in the body of Christ with the hopes that their friends from their old life will surrender to a new life in Christ as well. You know what I love about this friend group in this movie? I love the unity and the diversity of them. It speaks to the unity and the diversity in the body of Christ that we're supposed to have. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 6, 26 and 27. You could actually start all the way back to verse 12, but I don't have time for that. And it says this, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. I said this a week ago, the church should be leading out in these types of friend groups, my friends, that speak to the power of the gospel to help us live out the gospel, to unite those people, girls, boys, it doesn't even matter, young, old, that unites a group of friends that don't look alike, that don't act alike, that don't have the same little nuances about their personalities, but yet they're committed to one another. And in this case, we're committed to one another because of our bond in Christ. When it comes to friendship, comfort is not the goal. So many times I say, oh, this is, this is my comfortable group, and I'm just, this is the group that I'm, I'm so comfortable. Comfort is not the goal of biblical friendship. Love, commitment, perseverance, and the pursuit of Christ-likeness is. Can it be comfortable at times? Sure. Will it be all the time? No way. God's purposefully created us in such a way that we're not just simply individuals. We are individuals created within relationships. Relationships remind us again that the identity that we have lies outside of us, not just in who God says we are, but in the community of faith, the body of Christ called the church. It lies outside of us in that community. The fundamental relationship that defines us, yes, is God in Christ. And then every other relationship flows out of that, supporting, exhorting, encouraging us in our identity in Christ. 
And when it comes to our friends, they should be strengthening your new identity in Christ. These relationships help shape us. I was reminded of that this week, probably for the millionth time. When praying for a friend who was going through something difficult. And I was reminded of the scripture, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. Do you have friends in your life that love God and love you enough that they won't just tell you what you want to hear, but they'll tell you what you need to hear? It's easy to ask for advice and counsel, and really what we're asking for is affirmation from the people who already think like we do, act like we do, talk like we do, live like we do, drive the same cars that we do, vote like we do, eat like we do, have the same hobbies and interests as we do. And yet what I see in the body of Christ, in the diversity that he's created us to actually have relationships in, is that we see a little bit more of him. We're revealing a little bit more of his character in the differences that he's created in the world, and yet he brings us together as one so that we can be shaped and formed to look more like him. You look more like God as the diversity of your relationships grow. That's why we are who we are as a church. When you find that type of friendship, fight to keep it because in Christ, a spiritual family is a forever family. Walking through the valleys and the mountains of life together makes us stronger, more secure, more healthy, and more holy. And if this isn't hard enough to keep the relationships that God has given us within the body of Christ, and it is, it's hard work. And if it's not hard enough, the gospel does not allow us to circle up our wagons and keep everything else out. I'm just going to get with my little circle of Christian friends, and we're going to keep everything else out until Jesus comes back. Jesus showed us that our relationships have to go beyond our circles of friendship to those to whom we have conflict. He was known as a friend of sinners. That was what they called him. He's a friend of sinners. You should know if you have been here for any amount of time. I've said this so many times and I'll continue to say it. The gospel story is not just about us. It is about a people. It is about a people that God continues to add to, an ever-expanding community of people, of brothers and sisters from every tribe, nation, and tongue, worshiping the one who created us together. And as a community, we're to care not only for each other, but for those around us who are hurting, who are lost, who are dealing with brokenness and hopelessness, whose lives are a mess, even those who don't even know that those things are going on in their life. This means we have to be willing to go to places that other people are not willing to go, to do things that other people are not willing to do. This means we have to be more like Jesus to do things that other people might question, may look down on at best, and demonize you for doing it at worst. Did you know that you could be doing something, obeying God for the sake of the gospel, and religious people can call it wrong, unbiblical, or even demonic? If you think I'm overstating it, didn't the religious leaders accuse Jesus of doing what he did by the spirit of Beelzebub? We're talking about the Son of God got accused of operating by the power of the devil. So don't think for one second that when you do something that God's called you to do, particularly as a church that is countercultural, that some of the religious people are going to tell you you're not even preaching or doing the gospel. Don't be surprised if people accuse you of doing something opposite of God while you're doing exactly what God has called you to do. 
As the late John Lewis was famous for saying, Jesus was always getting into good trouble. There was never anyone before or after as secure in their identity as Jesus was. And knowing who we are securely compels us to want to help others know who they are too. Because being secure in God's love for him led Jesus to have compassion for others, which he expressed through empathy in his relationships with them. If there's something that's missing in our culture and there's something that's missing in the church many times, it is simply this. It's the ability to have empathy for other people. The definition of empathize is to understand and share the feelings of another. See, this is why it's so important that you're secure in Christ because you can't be empathizing with somebody else's hurts when you're too busy dealing with your own hurts all the time or insecurities. Empathy is a deeper feeling than sympathy. We need both, but empathy involves standing in or walking in another person's shoes, understanding that emotion from their perspective, feeling what they feel. And if for one second you think, well, that just does this, that sounds a little bit new age to me. Let me tell you that when Jesus came to earth to live as God in human skin, he came to suffer as we suffer and feel what we feel. He experienced every little pain that we have as well as significant trauma in his life. He experienced adolescence even, which just blows my mind. He hurt like we hurt. So he truly empathizes with us. He is the great high priest, Hebrews says. And as we grow in our identity in Christ, we too should empathize with others more deeply. In focus, one of the greatest struggles that is going to face us, already is, and will continue to face us even more and more as the church, is the issue of identity. Everybody is going to be struggling and wrestling with this because we all do. But the idea of just be who you are, look to yourself, what does your heart say, what is your mind telling you, that is going to be coming up against the gospel harder and harder. And we're going to be tempted to want to capitulate to that. But what I'm telling you is that we have to be secure in who we are in Christ, how God defines us, and how the body of Christ helps us to live that out. And as this issue begins to force itself into and onto the church, if you will, and to the people of God, what are we going to do? Avoid it? Ignore it? Demonize it? No, we have to be like Jesus. We have to be willing to go to the hard places and do the hard things with people that nobody else will go to and people that if you do it with, they'll actually accuse you of doing something wrong. We have to be like Jesus who is willing to go through Samaria, which nobody else was willing to go through, and sit down at a well with no one else, with someone that nobody else was willing to sit down with and have a conversation with someone that no one else was willing to have a conversation with. We have to be a church that embraces the inner mess of people, family, friends, and enemies like God is going to keep bringing to this house if we're faithful to do so. Not just to listen, but to empathize with the hope of the healing to come. We're not just counselors. We're not just listening to listen's sake. Just like a really good counselor, they're listening to help you get better. God won't heal what we're not willing to reveal. And here's the thing. People won't reveal their hurt and their pain until they know that we care about them and this is a safe place to share what they're going through. In this last scene today, May encourages her mom, whose name is Ming, 
when she was 13 years old, she gets to encounter her mom when they're the same age. So let's watch this. What happened? I, I, I hurt her. Who? My mom. I, I got so angry and I, and I lost control. I'm just so sick of being perfect. I'm never going to be good enough for her or anyone. May is able to interact with her 13-year-old version of her mother, Ming. And she weeps as she says, I'm so sick of being perfect. I'm never going to be good enough for my mom or for anyone. In this revelation, we learn that Ming's childhood was full of unmet expectations and broken communication with her own mother. And the empathizing between the daughter and the mom begins and the healing begins. Why? Well, in biblical terms, that's what we see Jesus doing time and time again. If we're going to be like Jesus, then as empathetic people, we're going to enter into the feelings of others for the sake of not just listening, but support, relief, and healing. What we see throughout this earthly ministry of Jesus is the deeply emotional person that he was. Being moved emotionally in feeling and sometimes in tears at the pain of others. A good explanation is that he entered into their pain. He literally entered into the brokenness and the pain of this world. He literally entered in and understands the brokenness and the pain of our worlds. Most people call that both compassion and empathy, and we need them both. Like the woman at the well in Samaria, it won't be just for a listening session, but it will be so that other people can know God intimately and then know themselves more accurately. That's what happened to her. Let me tell you somebody that told me everything about me and loves me. This is what Jesus did for us. He knows everything about you and he loves you. He loved you so much that he wasn't gonna leave you that way. That's why he laid his life down. So now what we're called to do is the same thing for other people, both those in our family and those that one day will be, but aren't yet. One of the reasons that I believe other people are gonna come to know Jesus and they're gonna be a part of God's family through In Focus Church it's because we're going to be willing to walk with them in the middle of their mess. We need more people who cry like Jesus so we can see more people being healed by Jesus. Who you are matters, but you're not going to figure that out looking in yourself. You're not going to figure it out by yourself. Becoming who you are is becoming who God already says that you are. And you become that in Christ. In Christ, you become a son, a daughter, brothers and sisters who never walk alone, but empathize with others so that they won't have to walk alone either. Amen. Let's pray. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.